Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 again this morning. Now, you heard Pastor Shirley mention that word flourishing as some of our children will go in just one minute. Um, but a parent reported to me that their child, or I guess they may have asked their child, how many times did Pastor Jeff say flourishing last week? And the child's response was, too many. <laughs> the children are dismissed now to go. You are going to hear that word a lot because, as I stated last week, it really is the summary of what God desires for us in terms of his shalom, his wholeness, his wellness, his being, his salvation for our lives. You are smart. You are beautiful. You are strong. Those are the words that we affirm our granddaughters with. You are smart, you are beautiful, and you are strong. What we're trying to say to them when we say that is this. You ready? You are powerful. Hear that. Hear that. You are powerful. And you are. Each and every one of us are powerful. Some would say that the essence of being made in the image of God is just that. That you are powerful. Three words. Let there be. As we look at Genesis, let there be, we hear it over and over and over again. Let there be light and let there be sky and let there be sea and let there be land and let there be vegetation and let there be sun and let there be moon and let there be stars and let there be sea creatures and let there be birds and let there be animals. Let there be, let there be what? Remember these words, and God saw that it was good. That it was loving, that it was pleasing, that it was beautiful, that it was fulfilling its created purpose. And that's great. But it gets better. Because there's a transition that takes place with three different words. Yes, God gives careful attention to his creation that is tov, the Hebrew term for good. But there is a shift from let there be to let us make. And that's a significant shift that takes place toward the end of Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Let us make. There's a transition. God draws close, intimately creating mankind. And we see in verse 27 that there's this cluster, suddenly this explosion, three times, create, create, create. 
And we get this picture of this hands-on moment by God. And we find God hands-on, fingerprints on mankind, stamping the image of God on humankind. The image of God. The ability to think rationally, to choose freely, to create beautifully, to live morally, to think critically, to empathize compassionately, to love relationally, to grow spiritually. Powerful. Powerful. That's who you are. That's who I am. But I think there's a really important question in all of this. Why? Why, why did God not give that to the aardvark? Right? But why did God not give that to the turnip? Why humankind? The reason is, is that God wants to relate to humankind. Because you see, in creation, humans are the only aspect of the entire created order that God speaks directly to. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. God wants you and I to flourish by and in relationship to him like no other aspect of creation. And I think you can fairly say that the true meaning of flourishing is only found in relating to God. So this is about growing and abounding in a relationship with God. And that's at the heart of being human. And when we don't seek that through Christ, God in Christ, we will seek something. We will try to find a way to fill in us this idea of flourishing. We will try. But we see it repeatedly in Scripture that this is the heart of being human. Psalm 92 captures the essence of this. Remember we said last week we want to look at Scripture, read Scripture through the lens of the idea of shalom, of flourishing, from beginning to end. And we see God's grand project. But Psalm 92, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. We all need to hear that. They will stay fresh and green. I like that. I'm looking forward to staying fresh and green. What about you? Huh? Proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Now this is essential in understanding when it comes to centering life on Jesus. The Tuesday night men's group is a pretty significant group for me anyway in my life. And the other night, I asked the men's group what flourishing meant. So men, thank you. I want to just thank those men. And we began to talk about what flourishing meant. And you know what was amazing? Of this group of men, not once did they talk about flourishing as being material or physical well-being. In fact, it went in different places. One of the men talked about Father Colby, maybe you remember the 
Catholic priest, Father Colby, during World War II in the concentration camps. He was living his life with such freedom and flourishing in the middle of a concentration camp, so free that he was able to offer his life to substitute for another prisoner who had a family and to give his life. We talked about a former pastor who sits in his hospital room this morning with a grim cancer diagnosis, but radiates Christ, declaring how this season has brought clarity about God in life. And they went on. Flourishing is focusing on God no matter what, they said. It is for life, for distractions and struggles and all. It enables us to move through the ebb and the flow of life by maintaining relationship with Jesus. It is about staying power and endurance. It maintains a focus on others. I just share that because those men captured for me this, this place of what that psalm was trying to say about flourishing, what, what, what Genesis 1 does. Genesis 1 makes sense of our faith in real life. God desires and has designed us to flourish in right relationship with Him regardless of the circumstances. This is how Jesus put it. Jesus is God's way of flourishing for us. This is how he said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he means the Spirit. Rivers of living water will flow. Dallas Willard said it this way, I have never known a person devoted to serving God and others who had a problem with the meaning of life. Have you? I've never known a person devoted to serving God and others who had a problem with the meaning of life. You see, as we said, all flourishing begins with God and relationship with God. All of it. It begins with God. He's the starting point. Don't have that. We're not going to have that biblical flourishing, that shalom, that wholeness, that wellness, that being, that salvation that Scripture is filled with. But take it a step further and ask, is the only reason we are made in His image is for our own personal gain? Well, as we take and carry out Genesis chapter 1, he goes on, verse 28 again. Fill the earth and subdue it, he says. He speaks directly to them. Fill the earth and subdue it. There's a, a, a second time. He says, rule. Rule over creation. Fish in the sea, birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Rule, that's a word of power. Now, let's not lose sight of God's intention for human beings in creation. Let's not lose sight of God's intention for flourishing. The original calling of all of us as human beings was and still is that the earth is filled with the image of God through us. Hear that. The earth is filled with the image of God through us. And that's just not an Old Testament Genesis 1 thing. It carries all the way through the Scripture. Look what Paul says to Colossians. You have been raised with Christ. So those of us who have, are living on this side, if you will, of the resurrection, we've been raised with Christ. We're in relationship with Christ. 
You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so we're being renewed in the knowledge of the image of God. That's the entire purpose. Now the word that Paul uses is the word icon. And and it's the idea of a statue or a painting, especially that of a king. So do you see what that means? We are the icons of King Jesus. So, So what does that look like? In other words, what does human flourishing really look like? What does it look like? Well, Caleb Kaltenbach says it this way. God wanted humans to be as representative on earth. Humanity rules by representing God well. Am I representing God well? Am I, am I offering to the world the image of God that's in me, through me? You see, this is why discipleship is so essential because we are constantly being formed. We talked about it in our journey group this morning. We are constantly being formed or deformed by the world and the culture around us. This is why growing in discipleship is critical. This is why subjecting ourselves to the place of discipleship in community. Because image-bearing means we have been given power. And the process of discipleship transforms us at the depth of who we are as people, at the point of the image of God. And so that process is so important for us to become Christ-like. So discipleship is essential. If I am not growing in my relationship with God, then you know what will happen? I will not use power as God designs it for us. Discipleship is essential so we use our power, our rule for God's purposes. And that's also why we read these words in verse 31. Why at the end of all creation, when he gets done looking at humanity and at all, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Why was it very good? Why? Why was it tov to the max? Walter Brueggemann said, there is only one way, there is one way in which God is imaged in the world and only one, in the freedom of human persons to be faithful and gracious. There's only one way. There's only one way God is imaged in this world. You. Me. When we live out this faith in Christ, when we are renewed in the image of Christ that's in us, when we actually practice our faith, when we grow ourselves through the power of the Spirit and form, be formed into Christ-likeness, we image God in the world. He has no other plan for that. You and I are it. Talk about power. The Spirit's breath, as we saw last week, hovering over creation. The breath, the Ruach of God, gives life 
to the pinnacle of creation. And here we're reminded that every human being is a divinely fashioned image bearer. And here lies the sacred value of every life from womb to tomb. No other aspect of creation has this power. In that, God has given us power to grow, to abound, to create. But here's the rub. This is the rub. Power can be majestically beautiful or malevolently evil. And here's the deal. You ready? You choose. You choose. Power can be majestically glorious and life-giving and love-producing. Or it can be malevolently evil. You choose. I was reading yesterday morning, Deuteronomy 30. And even at the start of the people of God, what what does God say through Moses? I hold before you life and death. I hold you before you prosperity. I hold before you life and death. Choose which one you want. You see, we have this phenomenal power given to us by God. That's amazing to me. You choose. Andy Crouch in that book I've mentioned, Playing God, says, power is for flourishing. The image bearers do not exist for their flourishing alone, but to bring the whole creation to its fulfillment. Let that sit with you. What do you do with that now? Now that you've heard those words that you have been given this power, not just for your flourishing, but to bring the whole creation to its fulfillment, how does that inform my perspective and choices? In real time, in real life, Am I being formed or deformed? Am I being formed by God's desire for his image or am I being deformed by the narratives and the messages of the world? How do I respond to caring for the environment? Shouldn't Christians be the best stewards of God's created order? How does this inform my role for the woman in an unwanted pregnancy? Or the child caught in the foster care system? How will I devote my talents to the work of God's church in discipling others, especially a next generation? Or do I hang my power up because I've done that already? How am I to honestly and bravely seek racial justice while not letting the simplistic and polarizing political and media narratives silence God's call to bring flourishing to neighbors who are people of color, to all people? How do we do that? It's really easy to take an opinion, but how do I actually, how do I really bring the image of God to that? What is my role in bringing flourishing to those who are hungry, naked, or in prison? Didn't Jesus say that when we do that, we would see him? 
talking about all that stuff is okay, I guess, but we have power. And how does the image of God inform all of this? Image bearers are to use power for a distinct purpose. God endows women and men and teenagers and children even with the power of creativity. How am I, how are we creating conditions for flourishing? Well, this now invites a different view of power, doesn't it? We all have power, every one of us, even if that power alone is the choice what we're going to have for breakfast. We have power. So often we blame the circumstances or we blame someone else and it's like someone's thrust upon us, forced us to make a choice a certain way. But the truth is, the truth is, we have power to often choose a different path. We have power to alter our schedules to spend more time with God. We have power to see that person who's not like us, who disagrees with us differently. We have power to try to wonder what we're going to do with our resources. The starting place, though, is not found in leveraging the power dynamics of the culture, which are deceptively alluring, thinking that if we can only have power in the culture, we'll win. Jesus said this. Jesus, you know, he, Jesus said so many off-putting things. What is up with Jesus? Right? He says this in Luke 22, but you are not to be like that. You're not to be like the power in the culture. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules, the one who has power, like the one who serves. And so the starting place of all this is really in our immediate grasp. How am I creating the environment for flourishing in my marriage? To Kathleen of 40 years. How am I creating the environment for flourishing for my family? How am I using the gifts and talents I have for others? How am I using power to create good for the least of these? How is my material wealth being leveraged for God's flourishing in the world? We heard a story about this recently. I'm sure you heard the story of billionaire Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. He turned over, or his family turned over, stock to be used in the protection of open land and address environmental issues. Now, right away, if you have a reaction to that internally, you go, well, you know, and there's a negative reaction within you, just park that for a minute. Because there's a bigger issue. You may or may not agree with the aim of this effort, and there's more to the story, some of which I'm not sure I agree with. But I want you to think about something. Here is someone who decided that the power that they had, a $3 billion company, required, hear it again, the power they had, they determined, required that they give it away for flourishing. He and his family decided they had more than enough that's a good word for us to learn, enough. More than enough, and that the power of their flourishing needed to be given away for the common good. Now, we're all likely not billionaires, and you may not agree with 
the whole premise behind what Shinar did. But that really has nothing to do with what the real question is. The question is this. This is the key question. How am I choosing to give away what power I do have for the flourishing of others to the glory of God? How am I? What, what, what small little bit of power I have. How am I choosing to give that power away? You see, that's the point. He, what power he had, he gave away. At the start of creation, and as you read Genesis 1, I hope you never read it the same again after I state this. At the start of creation, we watch as God in a self-giving demonstration of how much he cherishes human beings gives us the very essence that makes us distinctly his and like him. God's image. It's self-giving. Genesis 1 is self-giving from the start. But we should not be surprised by that, by this self-giving God, should we as Christians? Remember this great early hymn of the church from Philippians 2? Christ being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. From the beginning, Genesis 1, all the way through, the entire story of redemption, that's God's nature toward you and me, self-giving. And what does the verse of Scripture say right before those words? In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, that's how we image God in the world. We decentralize ourselves. Did, did you hear what, what that passage said? That passage said that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So we, we image God when we don't use the power that we have to our own advantage. But we seek to advantage others. It is in Jesus, the most flourishing image bearer of all, who shows us what to do with this power. The true power is always intended to be given away for the benefit of another. And that's true flourishing. So who and what is going to flourish as a result of my choices today? That's a, that's a clarifying question for me. Who and or what is going to flourish as a result of my choices today? Well, here's the beautiful thing. It starts with God. And it starts with God and his choices for us. Hear that. God is for you. God is for us. Romans 8 teaches us that. God's made his choice with his power for us. And if today, if you need to hear anything, hear this. God is for you. He has crafted you. He's designed you. He's designed me in his image. We are image bearers. 
stamped with the image of God. That's who you are. (laughs) You. You are smart. You're beautiful. You're strong. Some iteration of that, when we give that to our granddaughters, is to try to say to them, you're made in the image of God. You're powerful. That's who you are. It starts with him toward you, toward me. That's grace. And then it extends out from us to the world. I'm going to ask our worship team if they'll come forward. In a moment we're going to sing Be Thou My, Own Vi- Be Thou My Vision because it starts with God. But let me leave you this one last thought, this quote from Dallas Willard. We are, all of us, never-ceasing spiritual beings with a unique, eternal calling to account for good in God's great universe. Every one of us, every single one of us, are never-ceasing spiritual beings with a unique, eternal calling to account for good in God's great universe. So God saw all he had made, and it was very good. So God saw Carol, and God saw Norm, and God saw Avery, and God saw Bruce, God saw Jody, God saw Adam, God saw Melissa, and he said, Very good. Very good. My friends, you are a divinely ordained power breaker. Here's the question. How will you choose to wield your power today? How will you choose to wield your power in this world today? Let's stand together and sing.